to another episode of Tied Together. And today I'm your host, Katrina Logie, who's going to be talking about digital in education and how education is being enhanced with a digital platform. And we're talking with David Kofood Wind, who is the co-founder and CEO of EduFlow, which is a tool to build and run any kind of learning experience online, not only for schools and universities, but also for corporates. So David, let's talk about how you came about setting up EduFlow and you know where we're going in, in terms of digital. But first of all, I would love to sort of hear your story and, and how you got into the sort of education field. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. So my story about getting into education and getting into building these companies is entangled, I guess, right? So I'm a mathematician, a computer scientist from, I was a small kid, I liked, I liked to program. And then when I was studying, I... I like being a teaching assistant, right? So my main study job was being a teaching assistant in all the courses I could get my hands on. Um, so I guess I had a love for teaching. I don't know if I had, I didn't, didn't know anything about it, but it just, it was fun. And then when I did my PhD afterwards in computer science, I got to teach my own course and uh, I spent all my time on that instead of doing my research. I, I was not a great researcher, I think. No? No, I don't know. It takes a lot of time, right? It's a lot of work and I... I like to see quick results, which is sometimes easier with the uh, teaching. So, so I had this course and it, uh, I really wanted to make it cool and it got quite popular. It was a course about uh, data science and I expected maybe 30 students to enroll, but I got 150 enrollments, uh, which was first great. And then when you realize the results of that, it, it, it dawns on me that I have to do something like 40 hours of grading per week just to keep up with the the assessments I kind of introduced. So that wasn't super exciting. And my reaction to it was to build software to help me, basically. That's the computer scientist uh, in me, I guess. So I decided to build some software to help facilitate peer feedback. So let the students be doing the grading. So they would submit their work and then they would grade each other. And then I didn't have to do any grading. This was, this was at the university where you studied? Yeah, so this is while I was a PhD student there, but but it was also the place that I did my own degree. In Copenhagen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then you developed peer peer yeah peer grading? Yeah, so this, this tool I called it peer grade, right? It was just for, for me, essentially. But my supervisor really liked it, so he wanted me to sell it as a product. And that wasn't really my plan. But, but he convinced me to sell it to the department head. Who, uh, who bought two licenses, one for me and one for my first supervisor. And now I had to, I sold the product now, so I had to build it. And I also had to make a company to send an invoice. And I also had to finish it, right? I had very little time before the semester start. So I called up my old high school friend and said, I'm, I'm in trouble here. And he was a good programmer, Melde. And I, I offered him to be my teaching assistant in the course in exchange for helping build the software. Then... I would teach the course myself and he would just come in and, and help me build peer grade out, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. So he joined as my TA. We built the first version of peer grade and uh, rolled it out in our own course to the students. So that's um, that's how we started back in, this was like in 2015, I think. Okay, 2015, when you, when you developed it to become 
more focused on education. Yeah. So, so that was the first version, right? We had it in our own course. My supervisor used it. We started selling some licenses to schools and universities in, in Copenhagen. Uh, we brought on the third co-founder, Simon, to help with design. And then uh, it became a real business, right? We spent more and more time. We got an employee. We raised some money for it and, and kind of started building this peer feedback software company. So then it became not just peer feedback, but also courses online. Yeah, so what happened from, from 15 to, to 19 is that we, we grew this company, we built the product, uh, we got more and more happy customers and users. Um, but we also started to see, I guess, some of the challenges of building a peer feedback company, some of the limitations in the market, basically. So if I was to sell peer grade back then to a, a university, I would need to sell them on peer feedback. First, I would need to sell them on the idea of using peer feedback and peer grading in their courses. And if they bought into that idea, selling the software was kind of trivial because then they would need some software to make it happen. And, and I had that. And I, so I did this, right? So I go and do workshops about how peer feedback is effective, the research behind it and so on. Then they would all be very excited and say, wow, I'm totally going to use this next fall when I teach again. So in 10 months, I'll try it. And then after that, if we decide to use it, we might roll it out more. So that's in two years. So I had this like problem where sales for us was so long because the universities ran in these very large annual cycles. And I had to first sell the idea, then a pilot, and then the full software. So that was one problem with, with peer feedback is that the demand wasn't big enough uh, already. And then... We just saw that when people were using the product, they were very happy with it, but only some percentage of instructors were doing peer feedback. And if they did, they only did it a little bit. They wouldn't do it every day, of course. So with a university of a thousand people, a thousand instructors, then maybe a hundred of them would do peer feedback and maybe only 10 in a given week. So that wasn't a lot of people. And I wanted more people to be using the, the stuff we built. So we decided to start looking at like things we could do. And along the way, we'd gathered a lot of feedback from our customers. They liked peer feedback, but they also wanted instructor feedback and self-feedback and other forms of feedback. And they wanted to change a lot of the ways peer grade worked. So this was hard to do with peer grade. It was kind of built in a way that made it somewhat inflexible. But uh, we wanted to then see if we could solve all of these things at once. So in, in 2019, we sat down we decided to stop working on peer grade. It still exists, but it's not being actively developed and build a new product that we called Eduflow, which is mm -hmm. basically a way to build online learning experiences. And, and this can include peer feedback, but it can also be without peer feedback. It can also just be an online course with videos and discussions and, and what have you. So you basically expanded it, but you still, you know, kind of like you run peer flow still, but then you brought it into Eduflow. Yeah, so we decided to to keep PeerGrade around and and uh, slowly move it's the sorry, customers over. Yeah, yeah. So, slowly move the customers over when um, when we felt there was a good match, right? So PeerGrade had a lot of functionality, and we wouldn't have all of that uh, in Eduflow from day one. So today, most of the customers from from PeerGrade are on Eduflow. Some of them are still stuck. People, are, people don't like change, right? So <laughs> some of them still like the old peer grade interface more. 
but eventually they will also be moving uh, to Edgeflow. That's not uh, we don't have a, a rush on, on getting that done. Okay, so how did Edgeflow then expand your clientele? Yeah, so Edgeflow has broadened the customer base uh, in many many ways, right? So. First of all, it, there's almost nobody who couldn't use Edgeflow in some way, right? It's a, it's a way to teach something to somebody online. And that means we have users in middle school doing history class. We have uh, every single university course you can imagine from like gymnastics to quantum physics. We have all forms of internal training in companies, onboarding, sales training, compliance training, and we have external training. So training customers and vendors and partners. We have individual people selling courses on pottery classes on Edgeflow, right? So everybody who wants to teach something online can use Edgeflow, which is a, a blessing and a curse, I guess. It means that figuring out what to do is always tricky because you have to think about everybody as a potential user. But it's also very inspirational that you build one thing and then the users use it for something you have never imagined. Well, yes. I mean, that, and that's really kind of like given access, isn't it? I mean, there's so uh, there's a lot of platforms out there in terms of you know learning and education. So, how is yours different to other platforms? Yeah, it's a good question because I I don't shy away from the the tough competition that there is in this market, right? I think the way we look at it is that there's so much content in the world today. Content is basically abundant, right? Whatever you want to learn. YouTube has a video series on it. MIT, Stanford, Harvard, they put all of their videos online, all their courses for free. Anybody can watch. So if you want to make an online course on online learning experience today that's attractive, it can't just be the content. You have to offer people something more than just content. And what is that? Well, some of it is credentials, right? If you are Harvard, people would like a Harvard certificate. But when it comes to the actual learning experience, it's about offering ways to learn together with others. It's about offering ways to practice real skills and not just watch uh, other people do something. So basically making these online learning experiences social and active. And those are the two things that Edgeflow has a lot of focus on. So like making a course activate you and, and, and making it a good experience to work with others uh, online. Okay, so so social, active, and collaborative. Yeah, and that's not something we just like. We didn't sit down one day and like come up with this. It, I think it was just an artifact of our story, right? That peer feedback is inherently active and social, right? You give feedback to other people, and you do it by giving feedback. So you have to write and create. Uh, we were never a, a study tool where you just sat down and looked at anything. It was always hard work but also very giving work uh, so because we did peer grade first and then went into edgeflow we had this package basically of collaborative active learning and now we're taking that idea and then applying it to other things as well like how do we make other parts of the course experience online learning experience more active and, and more social so how do you do that well i think um parts of it is just letting people experience that they are doing something together, right? We all sit at home in front of our computers and multiple people might be in the same course at the same time without knowing, right? So some of it is just indicating to other people that, hey, there's other people here with you. It's also about offering ways to collaborate, right? So it's like having a discussion forum, for example, where you can ask people questions and they can talk to each other. 
doing things that are shared. So like you record a video to share with the group, basically trying to, to make the course invite you to, to talk to other people and learn from each other. Okay, very good. And giving feedback, obviously, and sharing each skills as well. Yeah, I think that's like, uh, that was something we started looking a lot more into is this active part, right? So this is classic uh, saying, right, you don't learn to ride a bicycle in a seminar. And I think the same goes for many other things, right? If you really want to be good at delivering a sales pitch, you can't just read about sales pitches. At some point, you got to try it out and get some feedback on it. And so, so that's a classic example of Edgeflow being used in a company, right? A sales training. So you read a bit about how to deliver the good pitch, then you record a pitch and send it off. And then you get feedback from your peers. You get to see what they did. And then you get to go back, reflect and record a new version, get feedback from your manager and so on. So like really trying to activate people in in the learning experience. Okay, very good. So it's a great way to, to get feedback, even with building a business, for example. <laughs> yeah, we see that as well, right? Like people running courses on, on building a business and then they submit their business ideas and get feedback from each other and yeah, everything. And how many users do you have? I mean, you know, is there, you've obviously talked about schools, but also corporate learning. So, you know, explain your user base. Yeah, we have tens of thousands of like instructors creating creating courses, but that can be a lot. There are different, right? It can be a, a middle school teacher, or it can be a, like a corporate trainer at, at a big company. We have hundreds of thousands of of, of learners on uh, on the platform. And then one of the in, interesting things we've seen from that, which I didn't really anticipate, is that a lot of the customers we get today actually started off as learners in another course. So somebody will go and take a, a, a course at a business school, for example, as an, at an MBA, and then they'll go back to their own company and say, you know what, I tried this tool Edgeflow as when I was a student and I really liked it. Let's use this for internal training. This has been a fun way to see Edgeflow spread without, without us doing any work, really, by having people experience it in different uh, areas. Different areas, different dimensions, using it for diff- in, in different you know, building their own kind of learning. Yeah, exactly. I mean, technology, how has technology advanced learning online? And what are the benefits of learning online? The benefits of learning online is discussed a lot, right? Like, is it actually better or is it worse to be online? I don't think it's either or. I think it's it's a combination, right? Some things really effective online and some things are just more fun face-to-face or more engaging. One of the good things about being online is the ability to kind of transcend where you are and when you are doing something. So I can sit at home and participate in a course. And this can be great because you can take a course from India or I can, uh, you can be a stay at home dad and uh, take at home a course in the evenings. Still a lot of courses suffer from like requiring you to sit on Zoom at a certain time, which I think is a, a bit boring because I, I, I really believe in the, async idea of working when you want to work so that's still mm-hmm. something people have to adjust to i think so so that's one of the reasons online is so good is that you can do that right and you asked about technology i think it's actually quite interesting how technology has, has changed education or not changed education for, for a long time right like if you look back from when the early early days of, of online learning it was before we had the ability to stream large video files over the internet. So in the early, early days, 
online courses were actually quite collaborative and asynchronous. It was a discussion forums for one of the early technologies that were used at universities. And that's getting a comeback now. But in the in the long middle period here, we suddenly got bandwidth and, and computer power to deliver videos online, which meant that courses changed from being these forum, as collaborative forum courses to being video streaming, kind of the Netflix of education. And that's been the last uh, 10 years or something, the MOOC era, right, as many people call it. And now I think we're going back. Now I think people are getting tired of videos. They're tired of sitting at home watching education happen to them. Uh, they want to participate more. So now we're entering like a new wave of of active uh, collaborative online learning. Which is which is very much what you have, you know, you started off with. Yeah, so I, I think it's, uh, I think everything has its place, right? And I think the the courses we see today combine all of the, all of the above, right? There's synchronous and asynchronous, there's consumption and there's active participation. And I think it's, it's about delivering learning experiences that are meaningful to the learners and that where they feel engaged and motivated. I think motivation is, is never, you can never focus enough on motivation, right? If you can do a hundred different things every day, you need a good reason to take a course. It can't be just good enough. It has to be really good. So making courses that are so good that people will stop watching TikTok videos and go take the course instead is that's the challenge that the course creators face today. So what what do you see as engaging the learner online? Honestly, it's very fundamental stuff, right? So why are people motivated to do anything? One of the, like you, you want to get something out of the other end, right? But I think one thing I experienced myself, which was kind of eye opening, was that I was taking a course where you could win something at the end. I think you could get on a leaderboard or something. And that was kind of cool for me alone. But then you would also be working in groups. So beyond you could beyond winning alone, you could also win as a group. But winning as a group in this course meant that everybody in the group had to perform fairly well. And then I kind of got demotivated at some point and kind of fell out of the course and said, I'm not going to submit anything tomorrow because it doesn't really matter with this leaderboard anyways. But then I got a message from a guy in my group who said, like, David, ah, we're not going to win because you're not submitting anything. Can you please submit? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it for this guy. I don't know him. I just met him two days ago online, but he depends on me to submit something. So I'm going to do it. So social motivation is incredibly strong. And it's something we haven't really leveraged enough. And I've also seen these modern companies who are doing something quite interesting. They're taking existing courses that are working online and then where people are studying alone, and then they're forming study groups around those courses to say, everybody who's taking this course at the same time, come here and take it together. Because there is this feeling of, of isolation when you're just sitting alone taking a course, but just taking it with other people makes you much more likely to complete it. Yeah, peer-to-peer interaction. Yeah, and just like, it's it's weird, right? I don't know what it is, but it's it's probably some very fundamental psychological stuff going on there. Definitely, especially after COVID. Yeah, like people are isolated, right? People are lonely. So I think doing some anything together is is a big plus. Yeah, and also I think culturally, bringing people together in the set in the room with, with different different backgrounds and different learning styles, and it's all about you know helping each other and learning from each other, basically. Yeah. And is there a certain time when people you know use the platform more than others? 
given that we have a lot of users in the education sector, they have a very classic schedule, like the long summer break and the Monday to Friday, right? And then we have some other types of customers who then use it Saturday and Sunday evening, the more freelancers, the stay-at-home parents and so on. So we have a bit of a mix, but if you look at our usage charts, they resemble the Zoom calendar pretty well, which is scary because then in the summer, all the customers disappear. They like they lock off right. You're like, oh no, are they ever coming back? And then they come back after summer. <laughs> it's like, oof, we got we made it again. But it's uh, it's always a weird, it's weird to look at these graphs that are so seasonal and cyclical. So do you do you have a system where you analyze, you know, all this data and the, the sort of you know the popular timings of learning and and also the the courses that you offer. We probably should do more analysis. I'm a statistician, right? I should probably like this more. Honestly, I think we've kind of, people sometimes get into kind of a paralysis when they try to analyze too much. I think we we run a lot of our business on intuition. Uh, we talk to our customers a lot and we high level, we understand what's going on. And then we make decisions based on that without necessarily proving it with numbers that everything works. Uh, because in the end, Everything is very complicated in the world. Nothing is simple. Uh, A leads to B interactions. So whenever we try to analyze anything, it never really fits together because there's something we can't measure anyways. Okay. So it's very much uh, inter- getting feedback from the customer. Yeah. And then often the, the feedback they give is not the right one. It's the, the stuff they say between the lines. I would talk to them and we... We try to understand their motivations and their behavior and, and see what they actually do. And then we can we can just see when we look high level at, at the numbers and the data and the conversations. Okay, this is the trends. This is the ideas we're seeing. A lot of the actual feature requests, they'll come with, we'll say, oh, it's a good idea. And then ignore it because it's not, it's not actually a good idea the way they phrase it. But the underlying problem they're trying to solve can be very interesting to us to figure out. In terms of online learning online and using an LMS. Can you explain the difference and how that, the benefits of online versus an LMS system? Yeah, so an LMS, uh, as we understand it, right, is a way to manage delivering online courses. So courses can be built either in the LMS or outside and then uh, imported into the LMS. And then the LMS takes care of uh, enrolling people, tracking who attends what and completes what. And that's basically what, what we are doing, right? So we are a learning management system. So it's a place to build and run and, and organize all the, all the courses. Yeah. The learners don't know that it's a learning management system. They just log in and take the courses they're supposed to take. And, um, but for the instructors, it's the way they built the courses. And for the administrators, it's the way they organize all the learning content. So if you're a university or for a larger company, you might have hundreds of thousands of courses and they need to be set up and managed and organized and so on. Right. And what are the the benefits of basically of, of using this LMS? Well, you have to have somewhere to store the course, right? And, and host the course and, and have people log in and do things. So, so you need some form of technology. The advantage of running a bigger piece of software, like a real learning management system is... The ability to see trends across different courses, for example, to say, okay, if people are taking these four courses, are they staying in the company or are they graduating? Well, every organization or institution needs some amount of, of governance and tracking to, to function right. 
people love reports. They love Excel files, right? So they, no matter what you do, you got to build a way to make it into an Excel file at the end. Otherwise, the customers will never be happy. So that's, I guess, uh, the untold story of what an LMS is. It's the way to make some Excel files out of your your content in the end. And what are the tools you're using to build your LMS system? Yeah, so we're building it ourselves, right? So we're, we're writing Python code and, and JavaScript code and, and so on to, to build our LMS. We're a small team, a relatively small team. We're 14 people and mm-hmm. mostly a, a product team. So we spend all of our time building Edgeflow, making it better, adding new functionality, making it faster. And then we release those features every week and and, and see people adopt them and, and teach with our tool, which is super exciting. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your team, you know, collaboratively, how do you work together What and what tools do you use online to build the system? Yeah, so we use some uh, pretty standard tools. We use Slack to write to each other, email, of course, Trello to manage our tasks and Notion to have as like our internal wiki of, of knowledge and notes and so on. And then as a team, we're pretty remote. So we are five people in Copenhagen, but I work from home. The four others go to the office and then nine people in nine different cities around the world from the Dominican Republic to the Philippines, uh, we span, we span the globe. So we work remotely and as much as we can possibly do, we work asynchronously. So I'm the person with the most meetings uh, in the company. I have a, I have a decent amount of meetings, but a software developer with us has one scheduled meeting a month, maybe two. The rest is on their own. Like they can, they can arrange a call with somebody else if they want to talk something over, but the calendar is basically empty every, all the time. So. People do a lot of focused work, and then they check in with others when when needed. Okay, so it works quite well working remotely. Yeah, for us it's very it's very easy, right? Because we were we were already remote before COVID, kind of out of need. I think we Denmark is small, Copenhagen is smaller, right? And we needed to hire some software developers, and it's not that software developers are not existent in Copenhagen, but if you compare Copenhagen to the whole world, it's a very small part of the world. So the chances of the perfect developer living right next to me was kind of unlikely, right? It was just not not very good chance, right? So we started to look for somebody, and whenever we got one application from Copenhagen, we got a hundred from the world. And we ended up finding the best people somewhere else, and then we hired them instead. So over time we became remote because of a lack of talent and uh then we've kind of become accustomed to to just work this way. And, and once you start to build a culture around it, it can actually be quite effective. But it does require a bit of fine-tuning, I think. How do you get past things like learner resistance, for example? Yeah, so learner resistance is uh, it's always there, right? So I guess I can talk about my own course back in the university days. I... I did this course and I, I built peer grade and then I went to the classroom on the first day of the first week and I said, hey, we're going to talk about data science. And I also built this software called peer grade and we're going to be giving each other feedback. And they all said no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I built this. I already sold the license. What am I going to do now? So I asked them, like, what? Why not? Like, what's please give me some explanation here. And they said that they didn't trust each other. Right. Like, we don't trust 
our peers to give us grades. They're not smart enough. You're the teacher. You're supposed to be smarter than us, which is for the, uh, somewhat of a fallacy, right? I'm, I was probably better at the subject than the average student, sure. But together, they were kind of smart, right? And also, when we did peer feedback, instead of me spending five minutes reading something, three people would spend an hour each reading your work. So it was clearly much more uh, quality in that uh, review. But what I did is I told them, you know what? We'll do peer feedback, and then I'll add a button that's a little flag. And if you ever feel uncertain, if you ever feel the feedback is missing something or it's wrong, click the flag, and I'll go and, and review your work. And these were math students, right? So they realized, okay, this is a fair trade-off, right? I can I can just click the flag all the time, and then it'll go back to normal if I feel unhappy. So they accepted this uh, compromise, and luckily when the then experienced the reality they didn't click the flag that much, right? It was only, I think, 10% of the work I graded. But that meant going from 40 hours a week to four hours a week, which was fair. Like, that was a good amount of grading to do. And then everybody got great feedback. So they got better grades. I think they had, uh, I had no exam complaints. Everybody was, was satisfied at the end. But it took a little bit of, I don't know, negotiation at the beginning to find a a way to make them comfortable with with this new process. Okay. And in terms of, you know, you talked about MOOC earlier. So how is that how has MOOC changed in terms of learning? It's a good question. I I wonder what actually happened to MOOCs, right? So it's a really big thing, these massive online open courses. I think it started with Stanford back when I was a PhD student or master student launching these five MOOCs or something and got super popular, hundreds of thousands of people enrolled in them. And then today, I guess, I guess one of the things that happened is this abundance of content, right? Like there's content everywhere and like you can just, you can go on YouTube, you can take another course. And then the big argument against MOOCs, which I think is somewhat unfair today, is this completion rate problem that 5% complete the course or something like that. And that's, it's kind of like a bogus statistic because also it's very easy to enroll in a MOOC. I've enrolled in 10 MOOC courses myself just to get a single video from the course. And then I unrolled again because I didn't want to take the course. I just wanted that one video. But that counts in their completion rates, which is unfair to the to the course, right? Uh, so you have all these courses and they're pretty high quality. But I don't know. I think people feel isolated and unmotivated to, to actually complete them. I think a lot of people take a course for part of the course. Uh, they don't need to complete the whole course and get a certificate at the end. They just want a tiny bit of it. So I think MOOCs are still there, but they're morphing into something slightly less massive, probably more niche courses. Instead of having one course about something, have 10 courses about variations of the theme. So then it'll become more directly relevant to what, what you need to do. As a learner, if you're in a course of a thousand people or a hundred thousand people, it's not going to make a difference, right? It's not going to make the course better that there's more people in the course. So scale is just an advantage for the instructor, not for the, for the learner. And I don't think there's that many things that needs a hundred thousand people in a cohort, honestly. Do you think people are more into online learning these days than actually learning in a classroom? I think people right now, there's a there's like a whiplash effect, right? People want to go back to physical. They want to go back to classrooms. We had everything on offline and everything online. Now we're going a lot <laughs> offline again, and then we're gonna we're gonna go back in the to the middle, 
I think. We're going to get to a new equilibrium now where people have parts online and parts offline. So hybrid learning. That's how I work myself, right? I go to the office on Mondays normally, and then I, I stay at home for the rest of the week. So when I'm in the office, I collaborate a lot, right? I talk to my, my colleagues, we eat breakfast together, and we have all the fun we need to have. And then I go home and focus for the rest of the week. And I think I talked to somebody recently who was studying medicine, and she had to travel two hours by train every morning and afternoon to get there. That doesn't make any sense, right? To go to a lecture where she doesn't say a word, right? She's just sitting in a chair. So we already saw this happening prior to COVID, right? With like blended learning and flipped classroom where people would say, wait, why do we go to school and then have a lecture that we don't need to be there for? And then we go home and do all the exercises that are really hard. Why don't we watch the lecture at home and then go to university and do exercises together? And that was pretty smart, right? It's like the thing that you can actually do async, do that at home pre-recorded and then come to, to university and talk to each other and work together on problems. And I think we're going to see variations of this where a lot of things will happen offline and async, and then some things will happen maybe physically or at least synchronously online. So in terms of EduFlow, are people using it in ways that you didn't expect? Yeah, so I think... So we have a lot of different types of customers, right? Like from schools to companies, but we also have a lot of different use cases within companies, for example. So one of the things I can talk about is the way we use it ourselves, right? So we use EduFlow ourselves for onboarding new employees. That's an onboarding course we have. We also use it to run performance reviews. We have performance reviews this week. And what that means is that everybody goes, submits what they've done since the last performance review, how they're feeling, what they've been working on. Then they give themselves some feedback. So we have a rubric for self-review. And then the managers, me and the other co-founders, we give them feedback as managers. And then they have a meeting with us, a one-hour performance review meeting. And then they go and submit a, a kind of what are my goals for the next quarter. So that all happens in, in Edgeflow. We use it to train our customers on how to use Edgeflow. We use it to run courses ourselves as marketing. Uh, we use it to hire people. So when we hire people, we give them some tasks they have to solve, and we run that in Edgeflow. So onboarding, performance reviews, hiring challenges, all of these things are also things we use Edgeflow for, and we see customers being creative in, in similar ways. So that's kind of exciting that it's more than... And that's also why I say learning experiences sometimes instead of courses, because courses have this idea to them that it's like to teach people something, but... But Edgeflow is actually broader than that. It can facilitate a, a workflow almost, like a process of, of learning and doing and, and interacting that's a bit broader than just the course context. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, it's a good way to, to, you know, see where people's skills lie when building teams within companies. Yeah, exactly. And where do you see technology failing when it comes to online learning? What tools are missing, do you think? It's hmm, a good question. I feel like the tools are pretty good. I don't think the integration between the tools is very good still. And I think that's a problem in all of, of online, <laughs> not just online learning. It's that. But I think especially like teachers and instructors will be using a, a handful or more of, of tools for running an online course. And these tools... They don't really talk well to each other. They, in theory, they can, but it doesn't really feel nice. So all the learning experiences become a bit disconnected. And I guess there's 
there's a couple of ways to approach this. One is to make integrations better, like make the tools actually like play well together, which is hard because it's like a, there's some kind of game theory problem here where the, the companies that build the tools have to like work with each other while they might not want to. Or you can build bundles of tools, right? So we can build more functionality into Edgeflow so you don't need to use that many tools. And I've always been an advocate for many years for like unbundling, like one tool for the job, like uh, use a, a bunch of tools. But I can also definitely see the appeal of using one tool that does many things because it makes the whole experience a bit simpler uh, as an instructor and as a student. So exactly where this will go, I don't know. It'll probably be some combination. I hope we're doing some some smart things. I hope to make integrations better because, again, we're being used together with many, many other tools. So what are you building in terms of or developing for the future in terms of online learning? So right now, we're just making Edgeflow better, right? Like we've, we've kind of started with being very focused on the learning experience. So like making a course that's good. And I think we've over delivered on that. And we have, I think that the best product on the market in terms of building a very good course experience for the student, where we then not did not invest as heavily as like administrative stuff for the institution, right? Like having all the dashboards and admin functionality you need. You have to make a trade off somewhere, right? And that was ours. So right now we're spending a lot of time on making it easy and, and fun to run a large number of courses, make it flow faster and so on. And then when we're done with that, we're never done, right? But when we change focus again, I think you'll be back to the learning experience again and kind of make make the courses even better uh, again. Okay. So it's about quality versus quantity. It's always about quality, right? And I think it's it's hard to build a new feature that everybody will be excited about. But if you already have a lot of people using your product, you can make something better that they're all using and make everybody uh, happier. And I think people forget about making things that already work better. I think that's how you get really happy customers If it is if you remember to invest in them as well. They're the ones who already understand the idea. They, they already understand why this is a good, a good product for them. So keeping them happy will will make them stay on as customers and refer their friends and so on. Instead of just building features for the person who's not yet a customer of the product. Mm -hmm. So, David, thank you so much. I mean, God, there's so much to talk about, you know, with education and online learning. And it's such an interesting topic. And it's great the work you're doing with Eduflow and bringing collaborative learning and, and sort of, you know, peer-to-peer interaction is you know it's all what it's all about these days and and you know it's great that you've built this platform so thank you for being on the tie together podcast today yeah thanks for having me and very much enjoy talking to you about the future of online learning likewise i hope you enjoyed this edition of tie together if you have any comments or you have any feedback for us, you can always email us at tiedtogether at cohesis.co.uk.